Hey, everybody, how are you doing? Everybody doing all right today? It's so great to, great to see you. So glad you're in God's house. So many exciting things that are, are going on, um, even all around us. And, um, and uh, man, I'm just so glad that, that you're here. We, we as a church are, are in a series called Arise. And if you've been around Pathway for at least a year, then you know last year, we set out on what was the biggest um, step of faith we have ever taken as a church. And that was we looked at the next two years last year. And so we're halfway through, but we looked at the next two years and we said, what does God want to do in and through our church? And we looked at ministry and we looked at uh, outreach and we looked at um, next steps as a church. And, and so we, we looked at what God wanted to do in ministry, looked at all those things. And, and so we're now in the middle of all that. If, if that makes sense, you know, and so, so many of our church came together and we launched a two year initiative and we said, okay, the next two years is going to cost us about $11 million in the next 24 months. And that sounds like a really big number to me, but God is God. So I don't think it's a lot of number. Yeah. I think if you're, you know, in heaven, the sewage pipes are gold. So I don't think it's a big deal to God. So, um, and so we, uh, we set out and so many in our church family have been so faithful and financially have given over the last two years have given three and a half million dollars to the kingdom of God. Yeah, we want to celebrate that. In fact, we want, we want to love on those who have really caught the vision and understanding of stewardship and sowing and giving to the kingdom of God because they're the ones that, that make it possible because we live in an earthly system that, that is monetary. And, and so even though, um, you know, it, we're talking about the kingdom of God, we still have to pay our electric bill. And so today I always celebrate those who have caught the revelation of giving and you should too, because we have chairs because they gave and we have carpet and we have lights and we have all these technological things and an app and, and someone right now is taking care of our kids and in a room that they provided with goldfish that they provided. And you're going to write today and take notes with a pathway pen that someone else provided. And you drank some coffee that someone provided through their generosity. And then this week, we counsel women not to have abortions, but to consider adoption. And we fed homeless people when we clothed people that didn't have clothes and we planted churches. We did all of that because people caught the vision of giving to the kingdom and understanding that giving is a part of our own growth and discipleship and understanding that, that while God so loved the world that he gave, had God not given, we wouldn't be redeemed. He could have loved and not given, but it, it was the giving that, that, that opened the door of redemption. And we feel like when we give to the kingdom of God, we're opening the door to redemption. And when we've seen this year, 150 people accept Christ in pathway worship experiences because somebody gave and opened the door. And so we celebrate that. And so that 3.5 million, we celebrate. It's, it's awesome. And, and after we, we gave away uh, 200,000 to outreach and paid all the bills and we had about 2.2 million left over. And we've been working with that to get our building designed and planned out and all the civil plans and and all of that stuff, and we've got that done, and now they're out there doing doing the dirt work, right? They're doing the dirt work. They're they're bulldozing and they're plucking up trees. And and if you're one of those tree hugging people, I love you, but we got to move some of them to get. <laughs> you got to be able to build, you know. So we got to create enough space. We're not trying to knock them all down. So we love the the ozone. All right, the ozone. But anyways, um, but they're knocking trees down and scraping dirt, and we'll plant some somewhere else. Amen. And so, anyways. Um, <clears throat> And so we're, we're now in the process of that. And, uh, and so we started last week just a th kind of a three-week refresh of Arise. Now, if you're here and you're a guest, I know right now I'm kind of talking to the Pathway people. If you'll just hang with me, I'm going to preach a message that's just as much for you as them. So I am going to preach. So don't go anywhere. But, but I need to pastor just a minute and just say thank you to those who have been a part of this. And also, next week, we are doing a commitment weekend again like we did last year. It was always the plan, but things change in a year. And so so maybe you're like me. And, and when we, when Julie and I made our commitment, I didn't see how we could actually get there from where we were. And, and the only way that I saw that we could make our commitment was to sell our house and take some of the equity out of our house and give it um, to, to the kingdom of God. And we felt like we don't have a problem doing that. Um, we feel like if we build God's house, he'll always build our house. We're not worried about that. But that was the only way that I could think that we could get to the number that we felt like God gave us. Now we're, we're halfway through it and we've given more than half without selling our house. 
because God has just supernaturally provided and done this crazy stuff that I could write a book about. And so, and, and by the way, like we, the number that we're giving is, it would be a very, very nice brand new car. So it's not like, it's not a small number. That's what I'm trying to say. So, so it wasn't like we, we pledged a small number. We pledged a number it was impossible to get to, right? And in fact, I remember a few years ago, I was having a conversation with a pastor and he said, he said, tell me about your goals. Like, what's your first goal for this year? And, and I said, this year, my goal is to give $20,000 away. That's kind of what he did. It's kind of the same thing. Like, I thought we were talking about goals. Like, don't you want a goal, like attendance goal for your church? Or, you know, you want to buy a new house? Or I'm like, no, no, I have giving goals. Because I really believe Matthew 6.33, when I seek first the kingdom, everything else gets added. I don't need to worry about a house if I have a giving goal. I don't need to worry about a car if I have a giving goal. This is revolutionary to some, but this is the way that, so I, so and here's the crazy thing. I met that goal. Amen. Now I go over that goal, right? And so, so to me, th this is why I love Arise because so many times people think, oh, the church needs my money to build a building. No, please, please hear me. You need the offering to build your faith. Because that's what God does. And so, so many of our people, so I'm asking everybody again next week to go back and meet with God and say, God, are we still good on this number? Do we, we've had a lot of people say, hey, we're increasing our number and they've already increased their number and they're already giving above and beyond what they committed to give because God has been so faithful. And so we just want to give everybody an opportunity to stretch their faith because how many know God's not going to ask you to give something unless it's painful? The painful offerings where you see the breakthrough. And so I just want everybody, I'm asking you, if, 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 you're, if you're Pathway family, I'm asking you, hey, get a, connect, get, a, get a commitment card. We'll have some next week, or you can pick one up, or there's one online, but get a commitment card and sit down. If you're married, sit down together, pray again, God, what do we do? Do, do we? And this is all we're saying. Uh, on the commitment card, it will say either we're affirming, meaning our number's good, we're staying the same, or this is a new commitment, because maybe you weren't part of our Pathway family last year, but now you are, and you want to get on board so that you have a testimony so that when we walk in that new facility, it's yours too. Like you, your faith was forged through it and you saw God's uh, faithfulness through it. And so, so maybe you want to make a commitment and then um, also maybe you're increasing and you're saying, Hey, we're going to be able to go above and beyond. And so here's what we're going to be able to do. So we're doing that next week. And then also I'm asking everyone who wants to participate, um, you know, Exodus 25, where God told Moses to build the, the, the tabernacle was the verse. One of the verses God gave me when we started the church. Um, and, uh, and, and what he said is take an offering from everyone who will give it willingly and build a place that I can dwell with people. And so this is what God spoke to me 10 years ago. Um, and this is all we're doing today is, hey, we're going to receive an offering from everyone who will give it willingly. And we're going to go build a place for people to dwell with the Lord. Right. And so I'm asking everyone to participate. Now we're calling it a miracle offering because we need a miracle. Right. We essentially need two million dollars in the next three months or we'll have to stop construction. We don't want to stop construction. We just want to keep our faith moving and believe God is able. And so here's what I say. That's why I need everybody who's a part of this and everybody wants to be a part of this to pray and ask God and do whatever God tells you to do. And whatever God tells you to do somehow will always be enough. In fact, it will be more than enough. And so um, uh, we, we were we were laughing because I, we were in an elders meeting and we were looking at the finances we have on hand, which is about one point eight million for the building. And we were looking at the timeline of construction and realizing we're going to run out of money in about three months. And we started saying, well, how could we manipulate the, the timeline essentially and, and, and make our money go farther and try to get to putting the steel up in the air and, 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 put, and, and, and all of a sudden I stopped and I said, guys, this reminds me, it reminds me of when we were trying to move into this building and we had $20,000 in our account. And we had an elders meeting and we were trying to figure out how to move this, you know, baby church with, with about 200 people from a hotel into this building. And it didn't look like this, by the way, it was mauve and white. It, yeah, it was like Pepto had thrown up and 
And so, so, um, so we had to build all this in here and, and put out all the carpet and buy all the chairs. I mean, just the chairs alone were like thirteen thousand um, dollars. Just the chairs for the auditorium. And so, to, to us, we were like, oh, "That's a crazy number, right?" And and so we were we were strategizing on, how, and we didn't have the right sound equipment for this room because we'd been tearing up and setting down, setting up and tearing down. And and I remember we made this crazy plan with like a thirty something thousand dollar budget of how we could get in here and fix it up little by little and get it working little by little. And I was sitting in my chair at home and God said, when are you going to ask me what I'd like to do? And I was like, well, you could have spoken up at any time. (laughs) It's your deal. And he said, you pull the elders back together and y'all make a budget for what you want to do and not what you think you can do. And so then we made a budget for like $132,000. And I think he provided $140,000 like in one weekend. And so we were sitting there and, and I'm like, this sounds like that. Only now it's millions instead of thousands. <laughs> Just a couple of different zeros on there. But you know what? If he's the God of 130,000, he's the God of 6 million. And that's why we, we, we need 6 million more to finish the building. We have two. We need 6 million more. It's $8 million building. Anyways, that's where we're at. So I want you all just to pray about participating. Be here next week. Even if you're affirming your commitment, be here because there's something spiritual as we as a church say yes to God, stretch our faith and trust God. Amen. Um, one of the tools we've been using, and this is what I ask everyone to evaluate, as we were using this thing called the giving ladder, which is just a picture of sometimes how we grow in our faith when it comes to God. And, and we all start the same place, potential giver. That's someone that could give to the kingdom of God, but they're not. And I know you may be sitting here like, I, I don't have enough money. I'm, I'm poor. If you're in America, you're not poor. I'm sorry. I mean, you may, may feel like you are. I'm sorry you feel that way. But you're like in the top 10% of the world in wealth. If, if you make more than minimum wage in America. And so like if you have a car, right? So, so this is someone who could give, we could all give. We might have to, you know, shut off our data plan or, or, or say no to HBO and stars and stuff on, on our TV because we've got $200 a month going out for TV or something like that. I mean, we might have changed something, but a potential someone that could give then emerging giver is someone who started giving a little bit sparsely here and there. And then the consistent giver is someone's giving a consistent amount, whether that's monthly or weekly or whatever. And then there's tithe giver, which is really where God wants all of us to get to. And, and I'll tell you this, that's where the supernatural breakthroughs really start. Because according to the Bible, that's where the windows of heaven open up. That's where God starts pouring out blessings. There's not room enough to receive. That's where uh, the, the uh, Solomon said our vats, Proverbs said our vats. In other words, where we, where we keep our wine, our wine starts bursting out and our barns start filling up. And, and here's why tithe giver is so important to God, because Hebrews 7 tells us that the tithe testifies that Jesus is alive. So every time you tithe, you're saying, God, I believe Jesus is alive, that he is Lord. And, and so that's why, so and really the reason it's really important to God is because Jesus is God's tithe. Because the, fi- the tithe is the first 10% that you give and then God redeems the rest. Jesus was the firstborn given to redeem the rest. And so that's why I'll never back up and say, I want everybody to get to tithe gear. There's, there's been 164 new families that have given for the first time through Arise. And we celebrate that. That's huge. But my heart as a pastor is I want everyone to get to tithe level. And you're like, oh, that's because, listen, I don't work on commission. So it doesn't matter what you, you can drop a million dollars in today or not give anything. It will not change my salary one bit or any of the staffs, right? I'm not a, I'm not a salesperson. I'm a pastor. I'm not even good at raising money. I really am just trying to speed up through this because I want to preach, right? But as a pastor, I understand the benefits and blessings of being a tithe giver, and that's why I, I will forever say that's where you need to get to. That ought to be your goal. And you may need to change your budget or sell something or whatever, but I would get there because the blessing is worth it. I've lived it all my life, and so it, it is worth it. And then, um, and then the next level is extravagant giver, and that's where me and, and many of our staff and many of our people are, and that's where we give the tithe, and then we give beyond that. And so, uh, so I, I would love for you to get there, but tithe giver, man, that's, that's where you got to get to. And so all I'm asking, all I'm asking is if you're a part of Pathway, even if you've already done a commitment card last year, would you do another one next year, this week, pray about it, meet with God, ask God what he wants to do through your life, 
and then find out where, ask God this question, God, where do you, where do you want me to be at on that ladder? That's all you had to do. Safe question, right? You're like, no, it's not safe because God will tell me. Well, wouldn't you want to live in the blessings of God? Don't you want God to tell you how to be blessed? Because if he's telling you where to get to on the ladder, that's where your next level of blessing and breakthrough is. And so, God, where do you want me to be on this ladder? And then you sit down and figure out how to get there, and, and, and we'll trust God to do the rest on everything else. Amen? So, And then also next week we're doing a miracle offering. Um, because we need a miracle <laughs> and because you need a miracle. So I, want, I didn't want to call it big give. I want to call it miracle offering because I'm believing God for breakthrough in lives. And I want you to name your offering. And so if you're believing God for a breakthrough in your business or in your family, I want the Bible says we, we can name our seed and sow our seed and then we can reap a harvest. And so I just want you to pray about what, what kind of special offering you're going to bring next weekend and what God wants to do through it and in your life. And then we'll do that next weekend. Then the next week, Weekend is baptism weekend. We always get excited about baptism weekend because we never want to get over being saved. And so we're going to be celebrating salvation. And let me just tell you this. If you're one of those that, that may think, well, it's baptism weekend. I'm saved. And I've been baptized. I'm going to stay home or I'm going to live stream it. The, the message that I have next week for water baptism will blow your mind. <laughs> like I'm like sitting here just, I would like to preach that today. I mean, it is just, I've never preached anything like it. And it will help anybody, whether they need to be baptized or not, right? So anyways, I'd be there. And then the following week, I'll be here. I think that's Memorial Day weekend. Jesus still comes to church on Memorial Day weekend, and so will I. And, and so I'll give you an update of where we're at, and then we'll just blaze a trail. Amen? Does all that sound good? Man. All right. Before I preach the message, I want you to hear this testimony uh, from, from Josh and Jody Brooks. like at opposite ends of the spectrum for us um, through Arise um, kind of just stepping up to okay what makes me uncomfortable and God used Josh to push me through that um, doorway and vice versa I feel like God used me to push Josh through for him it was serving which is something that's super easy for me I'm the one God I felt like he spoke to me the amounts to give and when to give it and and uh, that's what we've done and I know it probably didn't work that way for everybody but we give probably five times what we did when Arise first started we make five times what we did than when Arise first started we had 500% pay increase. So, I mean, I know you shouldn't give expecting, you know, God's going to give me all this money, but there's something to it. You know, he, he blesses those that want to bless others and are diligent about it. And, you know, you know, it's happened for us. If God is saying something to you, who am I to say no to that? And then through the process... I mean, it was, you know, like he said, it's, you don't give to get. We started giving and my anxiety levels started going down because you can see how God just follows through. God has proven himself beyond faithful for us. And I mean, yeah, from the time Arise started until now and, and probably even going forward, um, he's just, he's increasing our desire to give whether it be monetarily or serving um, you know or coming alongside other people in our church that have needs we're just we're seeing those opportunities and wanting to take those opportunities because we know um, how good God is to us once you start you know for me it was giving for him it was serving um, you know or becoming a part of a life group when you start to take those steps, it opens up a world that is as amazing. The kingdom of God is amazing and what there is to offer doing life with people, um, especially people here at Pathway. Um, once you immerse yourself in those things, 
you can very easily find yourself saying, what was I waiting for? You know, why did I not connect with people? Or, you know, why did I not um, sign up to, you know, help that one Sunday? I mean, it's, it's, the key word in life groups is life. It's so life-giving to connect with people and to serve people. You just have to try it. Just give it one try and you're hooked. You know, being a part is a gateway drug. So once you start, you kind of, there's, there's no going back, but it's the best thing ever. We are rising. Yeah, I love, love Josh and Jody. Amen. So now we know like serving, giving, life groups is a gateway drug. And so I like that. Um, why don't you get your Bible and turn me to Joshua chapter four, and I'd like to preach the word to you, and I will try to be as diligent and efficient as possible, yet there is something from Joshua chapter four that I feel um, in my spirit so strongly, and I think it is, it is pivotal. I think it is foundational. I think it is applicable, and I think it's informative um, for all of us. And I think it's it's about where I've been, um, and and where we are, and maybe even where you are. And hopefully, we'll give you uh, some tools. It will give you something to work with. In Joshua chapter four, Joshua chapter three is where Israel. Uh, so so we know Moses. Israel is enslaved in Egypt four hundred thirty years, and Moses brings them out. And it takes them about two years to go from Egypt to the Jordan River or Egypt to the Jordan River and, and, um, and the, the first time. And, and it says that they could have done that in about two weeks, but God took them the long way around um, because they weren't ready for battle. Isn't it great that if you're in a battle today, God must think you can win. He must think you're ready for it because he won't lead you into a, a battle that you can't win. And so he led them around because they weren't ready for that. And, and then they come to the promised land, you know, they send in 12 spies and 10 of them say, oh, giants are huge. Uh, we'll, we'll get whooped if we go in there. And so because of that and their disobedience and their, their unbelief, they end up 38 more years wandering around uh, in, in the wilderness at Kadesh Barnea um, and waiting for that generation to pass away and for God to raise up another generation. Isn't it interesting that people who have a slave mentality cannot inherit promise? And so the slave mentality has to die before, um, before promise can be inherited because slaves cannot receive, um, they can't receive the promise. It takes sons. And so God has to raise up a generation of sons. And so now um, 38 years has passed and now we're at the Jordan River again. And Moses has died, and Joshua is now leading the children of Israel. He was 20 years old when they left Egypt. Um, he's now 60 years old, and he'll lead uh, the, the campaign for about 40 to 50 years. He'll die at 110. And so Joshua is, is now the leader. And, and in Joshua chapter 3, they cross over the Jordan. But then Joshua chapter 4 starts right after that, but it kind of gives us some stuff that happened while they were crossing over and the instructions of the Lord in crossing over. And so that's why I want to jump back to, to there. Uh, the Jordan River, you got to also understand that, that now if you see the Jordan River, I mean, you almost jump across the Jordan River, but you have to understand that back in these days, it hadn't been developed and siphoned off and all of that. And the Jordan River is actually formed from three rivers that flow south out of Hebron, that flows into the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee, into the Dead Sea. So it flows north to south. Um, and the Jordan River normally would have been about 30 to 40 yards wide and about six foot deep. But isn't it interesting how God so many times actually stacks the cards against himself so that his glory can be most clearly seen? And sometimes we miss this because God could have brought them to the Jordan three months earlier and it would have been like the Lonesome Dove crossing. If you grew up with a dad who like Westerns watching Lonesome Dove, all right? So if you grew up watching Lonesome Dove, you know, in other words, it's six, you, you know, you could, you know, you could, you could get across that 30 or 40 yards. You could get across that. But God waits until it's the month of Nisan, which is the harvest season. And at the harvest season, the Jordan would have been at flood level peak. So now we're talking about crossing a flooded Mississippi. It's about a mile across and, and it's torrential. You know, I mean, there's currents everywhere. And isn't it funny how God timed it 
So it was completely impossible. Because he wanted his power to be seen. You may be looking at a situation in your life saying, God, if you would have moved sooner. And God's saying, I'm moving exactly when I want to move. Because I want you to see my glory and power. Anyway, so Joshua 4, verse 1, it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle. Everybody say, the middle. The middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at a place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together 12 men who had appointed from, his, from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel. Isn't it great how the faith of one generation makes way for the faith of the next generation? Is it because he's like, listen, this miracle is not going to be lost on your generation. No, you're going to tell the story of this miracle for generations to come. It is an interesting fact to me how one generation's faith makes way for another generation. Like today, I'm here and nine years ago, or Julie and I sat out on this adventure with, with, with my, my brother and a, and a handful of others. And we said, we're going to start something for God and it's going to be for God. It's going to be for his glory. And, and we stepped out. But you see, the story didn't start there because you'd have to go back to my dad's faith to see how we got there. And you'd have to go back to my grandfather's faith to see how he got there. And when one generation has faith, the other generation doesn't have to start where they started. They get to start where they finished. I don't have to start where Jesus started. I get to start my life at the empty tomb. I don't have to go to the cross and be put in the tomb. I get to start where he finished. I don't have to start where Abraham started. I get to start as, as the blessed of the Lord who has the blessing of the covenant of Abraham. Are you with me? And I think about today, if your life has been changed in this building, let me tell you about the faith of a, of a couple hundred people who were meeting in a terrible hotel across town, right? And those people had faith that if we could get here, God would reach more people. That's why people say, you need a building to reach more people? We moved into this, into this building with 200 people. We now have 1,200 people that say this is their church. We'll move into that building probably with 1,500 people and we'll have 3,000 people that say that's their church. It's to be the faith of this people that is passed on to a breakthrough of a generation that doesn't even know God yet. Are you with me? I am preaching so good and I haven't even got to point number one. I forgot to welcome those online, but I'm glad you're here. This is good. Hopefully it feels as good there as it does here. Um, but, so anyways, um, verse 8, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded, and they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the Israelites the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. And Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests had carried the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. Now, the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. See, there's another, gen Joshua didn't have to start where Moses started. He had to start in Egypt. He got to start at the Jordan. That'd be a good message. If y'all want to preach that, you can. I don't, I don't own it. I got something else today, but the people hurried over. And as soon as all of them had crossed, notice they hurried over. They didn't have faith to stand for a long time in the Jordan. They had to get on a cry. You know? I'm just kidding. Anyways. And as soon as all of them had crossed the ark of the Lord and the priest came to the other side where the people watched, um, I called this message managing the middle, managing the middle. 
Um, let, let me pray. God, thank you so much for your presence that we feel in this room. God, that you are speaking your words of life and they are healing and helping and giving faith. And God, that's all we, that we pray that, that by your spirit, that the Holy Spirit would teach us and he would open our hearts and open our eyes and even open our ears to hear exactly your words. God, that they would impact our souls and change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Managing the middle. <clears throat> Um, write this down. This is, this is point number one. I only have two points today, but point number one is this. God promises and God fulfills, but you manage the middle. I, I, think, you, I think you need to, to understand that, that God promises and God fulfills, but in the middle, between the promise and the proof, is the proving. That's where, that's where you manage. It says this, and in fact, we saw it five times in, in these 11 verses, but Joshua 4 verse 5 says, and, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle, into the middle, and, and, and each of you pick up a stone from, from the middle. Five times, 11 verses, verse 2, verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, is a reference to the middle. The middle. Where are they at? Well, they're in the middle of the Jordan, but the Jordan is the middle between the wilderness and the promise. How, how do I know it's so important to manage the middle? Because the first generation failed to manage the middle. And they couldn't cross into the promise. They had the same promise, the same provision, the same God, But because they failed to manage the middle, they didn't get to go into the promise. Because the middle, the middle is that, it's that transition between the promise and the proof, between, between the wilderness and the wonderland, between the manna and, 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 and the miracle. It's, it's, it's important because it's where... It's where we see so much of what God wants to do. And before we can actually, this is what I want you to understand, that over here God gives the promise and then God is going to fulfill the promise. But in the middle is, is really some things that God has entrusted to us, that, that some responsibility that we actually have. And the way that we manage the middle determines on how successfully we enter into the promise. See, the scripture gives us a principle that, that God gives it but then we have to manage it. The heavens are the Lord, Psalm 115, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. It was his to give, but it's ours to manage. And I think so many times we are expecting God to manage what he has given us to manage. It is interesting that when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says that God carried them out on eagle's wings. But God is not going to carry them across the Jordan. He wants them to cross it. He carried them out, but now he wants them to cross it. And so many times I think we are standing in the middle wanting God who carried us out to carry us across. And he's like, no, 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 no. I carried you out when I gave you the promise, but the middle is yours to manage. You'll have to cross it. I'm not going to carry you across it. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible it's an incredible area of, of transition, of shift. Thinking about this, thinking about this. In the wilderness, God gave them food every day, like Amazon primed it. The drones came, dropped off the manna. Right? Now watch this. In the wilderness, they had a cloud and, and a pillar of fire. Now those things are gone and they're going to actually have to manage. They're going to have to grow their own food. They're going to have, now we think it's backwards. We think, no, when I get to the promised land, that's when Amazon brings me everything God wants me to have. That's what promised land is. Like it's that place of rest where God just, the, the drones dump it at my door 
every day and there's a pillar of fire and a cloud to God. Think about this. Think about this. Do you understand the transition to this? That it was actually in the wilderness where they received daily rations of food. In the promised land, God gives them seed. He gave them bread. Now he gives them seed. He had a pillar of fire and a cloud. Now they have an ark. It's a transition that we miss that so many times God is wanting us to manage. He's not wanting to actually give us everything. That in the wilderness, God gives us exactly what we need. But the promised land is about God giving us seed and us learning to manage our miracles in a way that causes us to prosper. That it's actually what we do with what he puts in our hands that determines how well we inherit our promise and how much we prosper going forward. And so many times we sit back like, I want manna and God's like, I want management. In the middle. In the middle. No, I just want you to, God, just show up and just do this and just just carry me out and, and just provide for me and just dump the bread. And God's like, no, no. I did that in the wilderness. Now I want you to manage your miracles. Now I want you to take some response. The Bible says he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And we keep praying for bread to the eater when God wants to give seed to the sower. God wants you to actually take something he's put in your hands and put it in a place that causes it to reproduce and to grow and his blessing will be on it. And sometimes we miss that, but that's how it works financially. All of us want the Holy Ghost lottery just where we just have a need and God just shows up and dumps out the money right in front of us. And what I would say is, what did you do with the last miracle that God gave you? Because if he gave you a raise and you went and bought a new car that cost you more and your payments are now bigger, Maybe the problem isn't God's miracle. Maybe the problem is your management. Sometimes I say things, I think, well, that could hurt. I mean, it's still true. I mean, no backing up. That's true. But I'm just saying, God, God wants us to, to manage. He wants us. See, it's actually slaves that get daily provision. But sons take part in the family business. Right? It's, it's slaves have the mentality, just give me today what I need today. And it's sons that say, remember the parable of the talents? Remember, Jesus talked about these three guys and one he gave five talents and one the master gave two talents and one the master gave one talent. And, 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 and the, the one that gave five talents, when he comes back, he says, look, I have 10. And he said, you've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you Lord or ruler. There's that, there's that kingdom word again, kingdom over. Because you know we're in the middle right now, right? Jesus came. Think about this. What was Adam's problem? Mismanagement. I'll come back to the stewards, but, but, or to the talents, but let me get this in here first. The problem with Adam was that he mismanaged the middle. He said, here's earth, subdue and take dominion, have kingdom. This is my plan. We talked about this in Genesis 126. This is my plan for mankind. Not that they would have church services. That's a means to an end. The goal here is increasing a spiritual realm or a spiritual reign over a physical realm, increasing the kingdom of God's rule and power. And we talked about that last week. And so that was Adam's assignment, and he mismanaged the middle. Right, And so Jesus comes back, and so Adam lost the keys. Now, God still owns it, but he had given it to Adam. Do you see that? He still owns it, but he had given it to Adam. Then Adam lost it, and Satan took it. Jesus came back to take it away from Satan, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and gave us the keys to the kingdom. And so now here we are. We're in the middle between when Jesus came and redeemed us and gave us the keys, and when Jesus will come again and usher in the fullness of his kingdom. And so here we are in the middle. What's going on in this earth? Let me tell you the problem with earth before we decide it's some politic, political answer, a politician. Let me tell you the problem with earth. Middle management. Are you with me? 
And so here, here, here Jesus comes and he's given this parable. He gave five and two and one talent. And the ones he gave five and two doubled. Like here's 10, Lord, and here's four. And he said, oh, you've been so good and faithful. I'm going to give you more. The one who buried their one talent and came back with a really good excuse, like, I know how hard you are, and I'm scared of you, or whatever, and so I just buried it. He said, take from him the one. Now, he didn't lose it. He just didn't manage it. He kept it safe. I think some people are doing this with their talents. Because they have talents of hospitality, or they have talents of leading others, or they have talents of, of worship, or they have talents of working with kids, or they have talents. And I think a lot of people right now, they have their talents. And you're not losing it. You buried it. But the question is, when will you manage it? Because, because isn't it funny how, how God, the, the, we'll say God, but the Lord, the, the the guy in charge, he didn't hold them accountable for being able to do the same things. It was very obvious they had different talents or even different levels of talent, you could say. And he didn't hold them all to the same standard. The one that turned two into four got, got essentially what it looks like, the same reward as the one that turned five into ten. That it was all about how they managed what they had. And I thought about this because I thought, as a church, right now, we're kind of in the middle. Because we have what we feel like God has promised and what God is saying to us, but it's not there yet. And so to me, what I realize is we're trying to manage the middle between the promise and the proof we're in the proving. And what I said is, I said, God, I want to manage the middle well. Like in my finances, I want to manage the middle well. With the words that you have spoken over, over my life or my family or our church, I want to manage. And I don't want to sit back and wait on that the drone drop from Amazon. But I actually want to take whatever you have given me and I want to manage it well. Like I have this goal of writing a million dollar check and giving it to the kingdom. Now, I'm a long, long ways from writing a million-dollar check, but you got to have goals. Hashtag goals. Got to have goals. Hashtag giving goals. I wonder if you have a giving goal. I was sitting in a conversation with a pastor one time. We were having lunch, and he asked me what my goal was for the next year. And um, I looked at him, and, and this was a few years ago, but I looked at him, I said, he was talking about my goals. I said, my, my first goal is I want to give away $20,000 this year. That's kind of how he did. <laughs> like he was thinking I would have a goal for where I wanted the church to be or a goal for if I wanted to speak more, or do something. And, and I said, no, my first goal on my list, I want to give away $20,000 this year. Now you may be sitting here thinking $20,000 is not a lot of money to you. It's a lot of money to me. $20,000 is a lot of money. You can do a lot with $20,000. Can I tell you, I hit the goal. I hit the goal. Now I give away more than that because I got a new goal. Let me just blow your mind. Anyways, but I just wonder, do you have a giving goal? Because we have a making goal. We have a vacation goal. A new car goal. New boat goal. New house goal. Nothing wrong with those, by the way. Nothing wrong at all. Nothing wrong with those. Like, there are types of cars that I see, and I'm like, ooh, that's, that's oh, I like that. <laughs> the other day I saw a truck going down the road, I'm like, what is that? It's one of those Shelby, y'all seen these? These Shelby, Ford made a Shelby truck. I was like, that is cool. And I could have put that on my goal, but it wasn't really a goal. But give him what's okay. I got it. Here's the thing. <laughs> you can tell how unscripted I am. God promises and God fulfills, but you manage the middle. The Bible says he is giving us, this is Hebrews 12, he is giving us an unshakable kingdom. He is giving to us. It, it, heaven is here and not yet. It is now and not, not yet. And so he, here's what I'm saying. How much... 
or how well we manage may determine how much we receive. In fact, if you study the Word of God, it always determines. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the kingdom of God because I want to see people saved and healed and delivered and set free. And so I'm saying, God, let me manage. Like we have a definition. We have a, a code that we, our staff, we work by code. Um, there's a lot of things on it. But um, one of those things is, um, I just went blank. There's a lot on it. What was I saying? You can tell this was not in the notes. Oh, excellence. One of the things on there is excellence. And people have a lot of different definitions for what excellent is. And what I always say, excellence is when we use what we've been given to its maximum potential. Like excellence in this building and excellence in that building won't look the same because we'll be, have been given something else. Excellence when, when our budget was $100,000 a year versus a million and a half a year, it doesn't look the same. But what we always say is excellence changes as God provides. The more God gives us, the more, the more excellent we are. The more we maximize what, what we've been given. The more we manage the middle. Here, here's the second thing. Before you can step into promise, you have to stand in the middle. Before you can step into promise, this is Joshua 4.10. Um, says, now the priest who carried the ark, look at this, remain standing in the middle. Um, faith, faith is forged in the middle. And the only way for faith to be forged in the middle is because the battle has to be fought in the middle. Are you with me? The, the battle is actually fought in, in the middle. Romans 4 verse 19, it tells us how Abraham did this. How Abraham stood in the middle. He's the father of our faith and he's the origin of faith. And I said, what qualifies him to be the father of our faith and the origin of our faith? I, I believe is this, is that he was able to believe for 25 years for one miracle. Like for us, sometimes if God said it on Sunday and we didn't get it on Monday, we're not sure God's alive anymore. Come on. Can we just be honest? Like pastor, I've been believing for eight days for this miracle. Abraham, it was 25 years. Look, look at this, uh, Romans 4, verse 19. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. In other words, his stuff wasn't working. There were no special pills. And when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, wouldn't have mattered if his stuff had been working or not. Her stuff wasn't working. Look at verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew, look at this. He grew stronger in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced, write that word down, fully convinced. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Look at this. What I love about Abraham is it says he, he accelerated in faith over this 25-year span of believing for something when nothing seemed to change. And, and can I, can I tell you that it is in the middle is where your faith is tested and your faith is forged. James said this way, James chapter one, verse three, it says, for, you know, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So here we have the testing of faith and the acceleration of faith over a 25 year span. And all it says about Abraham is he was fully convinced and he didn't doubt at all. He was fully convinced, and, and, and look at this. It was actually the duration that caused his faith to accelerate because it said he didn't weaken in faith but gave glory to God. So here's this picture. What did Abraham do? In this span of 25 years, when, when nothing seems to be changing, He continues to focus on God and give honor to God and give glory to God, even though he is not seeing what God has promised. And it was the, it was the not seeing, but believing. It was standing in the middle that caused his faith to grow. 
I thought about this because I thought so many times, what is the opposition to the promise that God gives us? I thought, what's the opposition? And you know what the opposition was? Nothing. It was the fact that nothing changed for 25 years. Like so many times we think about the opposition, how the enemy wars against us. And I thought, how does the enemy war against us? Because in this, it wasn't like they could have children and God gave them the promise and then something happened to Sarah or something happened to Abraham. No, they were barren before. Genesis 11 tells us that. Sarah was already barren. And we know Abraham could still conceive because of Hagar. But remember how God seems to stack things against his promise so he can prove you and prove him and prove his promise all so Sarah was barren, but then, but then God waits till Abraham can't. You know what I'm saying? There was, there was no need to play Marvin Gaye is what I'm saying. Let's get it on. Anyways, no, I'm sorry. There was no need to. <laughs> well, I just ran the religious demons out. And so, <laughs> so there was, there was no need. There was no need for that because it didn't work. And God waited not only until she was barren, but until Abraham wasn't able either. But the opposition the whole time wasn't so much that something was coming against them as much as it was just nothing changed. And isn't that kind of what we fight as opposition most of the time? I mean, there is that time when it gets worse. I mean, Abraham is now where he's unable, but where his stuff doesn't work. But, but I'm just saying, isn't that kind of how it is? God gives a promise and really the battle we fight isn't what comes against us. It's what do we think when nothing actually changes? Isn't that kind of the war? Like God promised it and then nothing changed. And now the battle is, what am I going to think when nothing seems to change the way God said something was going to happen. And if God said something was going to happen, then it seems like something would change. But when nothing changes, now what am I going to think? Remember, here's what Abraham did. When nothing changed, he was still fully convinced and gave glory to God. Remember that term, fully convinced? I want to put that with another term and, and put these together. So, so James chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Look at this. He, he must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8. He is a double-minded man unstable. All right. Now look at this. Put these two together. On one side, fully convinced. On the other side, double-minded. What does double mind mean? It means having two minds to have two minds. Uh, Romans 8 verse 6 says, for, for to be carnally minded is death, but spiritually minded is life and peace. What does it mean? Like Just like there's an aisle here and an aisle here is two minds. I, I could go this way or I could go that way. I could think about this or I could think about that. I could think about this way or I could think about that way. It's to have two minds. And so what James is saying, look at this, look at this, look at this. He's saying when you have two minds, which is what doubt is, Doubt is to entertain any mindset that's not congruent with promise. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that's not in my notes. <laughs> Doubt is to entertain any mindset that is not congruent with promise. And so Abraham was fully convinced that's of one mind. Double-mindedness is having another mind. Like, well, God may not. Well, what if he doesn't? I don't know what God's waiting on. And here's what James said. Let the person who's double-minded, check this, check this. He said, don't let them think they would receive. He didn't say God wasn't giving. He said they were unable to receive it. If Satan cannot stop God's grace, and he can't, if he cannot stop God from giving promise, 
He'll just stop you from receiving promise. Are you seeing it? So Abraham is fully convinced of what? That God's going to do what he said. He has one mind, one focus. God's going to do it. Doesn't look like it. Nothing changed. 25 years. Now I don't work and Sarah doesn't work. God's going to do it. This is the picture. He was fully convinced. Because once you're not fully convinced, once you think you can lose, you've lost. And all Satan has to do is to convince you that God might not, that you might lose. All he has to do is introduce another way of thinking, another mindset, another way to go. That's all he's trying to do. Instead of saying fully convinced, this is the way we're going. And all he, all he does, all he does, he can't stop God's goodness and he can't stop God's grace. He can just convince you that it might not work. And he uses the opposition of the middle where nothing changed, where nothing has happened yet. And he starts saying, what if God's not going to do it? And the moment you doubt, you created double mindedness and it doesn't stop the promise from being given, but it keeps you from receiving it. I preached this to our staff a couple weeks ago. That's why it's in the message. They're like, you got to preach that to the church. I didn't, well, I wasn't trying to preach it, but I did. And so I, we were in all staff. And, and I was like saying, listen, what are we convinced of? What are we convinced of? Satan can't beat us unless we think he can. You, you want proof? The first generation... Same God, same promise, same Jordan. Only they had just come through the Red Sea. They send the spies into the land. Ten of them come back, and this is what they say. The enemy is too big. Now they had a promise, the same promise, and they had the same God. But they looked at the enemy and said, the enemy is too big. The second generation, when they get to manage the middle, same God, same promise, same Jordan, they go into the promise. Now, those enemies have been in the promised land for 40 years. In fact, they were hundreds of years before that. All the Moabites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and all the cellulites, all the ites were there. And so, but look at this. The second generation said, if the enemy is that big, How big must our God be? They were convinced, right? The first group had doubts. They were double-minded, like we want God to do it. But then they saw the enemy and said, I don't, I don't know if God, man, the enemy's big. I don't think, I don't think this is going to work. But the second group, single-mindedness. Do you see this? If God, if our enemies are that big, how big must God be? Right, right now we're sitting here as a church. We have $2 million. We need $2 million more by, by like August at the latest so we can keep the project moving. So when you've had a year and you've come up with $2 million and now you have like three months and you need $2 million more, it looks like a big giant. And, and we don't feel like we're supposed to take a loan. We're not borrowing money. We're just trying to do this old school kingdom. We're just going to pay as it comes in. We're going to pay as we go, right? And I went and sat out on the land and I looked and they're scraping and they're bulldozing and they're doing all this stuff. And I thought, golly, we need $6 million is going to have to come in in the next 12 months to finish this thing. We've been at it a year. We had $2 million or a little over that. It seems impossible. But then I said, if the giant is that big, how big must God? Because if God gave us a promise... He's not worried about the giant and he's not worried about the money. And if the giant's that big, how big must God be? <laughs> and then I like this. I'll say this. <laughs> the first generation, they're so big we can't win. The second generation, God is so big we can't lose. Fully convinced. Let me just say this. Then Joshua tells them, get a stone from the middle so we can build an altar as the first thing we do in the promise. Promised land. 
because the middle is where we have to manage. The testimony will be on the bank of the promised land, but the test is how we manage the middle. So get a stone, not from the promised land, but from the middle. So you remember how God brought you through. Is there anybody could thank God for bringing them through something? So here's what I did. I had them go out to our land and get everyone some dirt from the middle. Right? It's where the building's gonna be, but it's not there yet. It's where we've been working, but we don't have the money for it yet. And I thought, this is the test. This is the proving. 16 months from now will be the proof. But right now we're in the proving. I said, I want everyone in our church to have some stones from the middle. So that for the rest of your life, when we set foot in that worship facility, and our kids go into rooms that are actually big enough for the size of for the amount of children that we have. And when you order you a latte, I want you to have this in your house to say, I remember the middle. I remember the middle. And I remember how God brought us through. And when we need to build phase two, and we need to build campuses in College Station, or we need to build campuses somewhere else, I need a generation of people said, I remember the middle. And if God brought us through then, he will bring us through now. And if the enemy looks that big, how big must our God be? We got to manage the middle. And so I wanted you to have some middle with you when you leave here today. Are you with me for that? God is so... We should have enough of these one for every for every adult, you know. I mean, not that your kids don't, don't let your kids have that. It's glass, okay? So adults, um, they can look at yours. Um, but I want you to take that as a point of prayer and standing in in the middle, because that's where we're at. We're between the promise and the provision. We're in the proving. We're in the middle, and I want you to stand in the middle with me. Because before I can step into promise, I have to stand in the middle. Can you give God a hand? Because he is so good. Why don't you stand with me?